This is Mindset for Success, a We Global Studios podcast hosted by Dr. Leslie Knudsen. We explore the familiar, but not often talked about, deep-rooted emotional experiences that successful females have when setting up their businesses, and we learn how they overcame them. Welcome, Kristen. I'm so excited to have you as my guest today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to start by saying just a couple of words about you for our audience. Kristen is a 16-year lawyer and government consultant. After working many years in big law firms litigating, she volunteered on Detroit's mayoral uh, campaign, which changed her career trajectory. Volunteering turned into a position in in Corporation Counsel's office for three years, which led her to open her own law firm and consulting firm, Luz Law. Um, Welcome again, Kristen. Thank you so much, Dr. Knudsen. Kristen, I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about your path to become an entrepreneur, speaking more um, about your dog walking business as a young person and your sort of non-traditional ways that brought you to becoming a founder. Yes, certainly. Um, When I was a little kid, I think uh, we discussed that I um, had this urge to be my own boss from a very young age, I would say maybe four to five. Um, And I was trying to come up with ways I would sit at my dad's desk and I'd put my little pencils out and pretend like I was a CEO. And so I don't know where I got it, maybe television, since I don't have any CEOs in my family. But Mm. Um, I would think, you know, what can I do to start a business and make some money? So um, I think as soon as I could be trusted uh, with the neighbor's dogs, I ended up putting a sandwich board on the Afghan hound next door because it was a bigger dog and a better walker than my dog at home. So I would advertise dog walking services and uh, got some clients. And I sort of had a thrill uh, when I would get a client or uh, get some business, uh, just putting the money in my pocket was such a thrill. So I kind of caught a bug, I would say, uh, early on. And that went on to like a t-shirt making business. I did a friendship bracelet business, um, all sorts of things that you could do as a child. So that was really fun. My mom would sell the bracelets out of her friend's, uh, hair salon. So it was (laughs) at the front desk. And I think people would buy them out of, you know, not because they were a great product, but because they wanted to support a young entrepreneur. So you were a self-starter and you liked your independence and that led to a lot of self-confidence. So how did you go from there to founding your own law firm? Yeah, I think that um, I sort of got caught in the system, I would say, uh, from law school where they kind of teach you there to, you know, become a associate in a law firm, you know, work work very, very hard, work many, many hours, and then eventually make partner. And that I sort of didn't really understand another path to go. Um, I understood that I didn't really like the way that law firms did business. Um, I didn't like how they were trying to overbill clients and I just didn't like the structure. And I started to understand, um, while I thought a law degree was very valuable, the way that they did business, I didn't agree with. So, um, you know, I, I was more of the idea of that we should do a great job and keep the clients for a long time rather than try to get an extra dollar out of a certain file. So um, I understand, I started to understand why people don't really like lawyers and we sort of have a, have a bad reputation. So my goal to start my own business was 
to kind of go against the grain and create a different model that makes more sense, especially with all the other uh, tech entrepreneur startups in Detroit and uh, their specific needs that uh, they probably don't want to hire a big law firm. So I saw a little niche, a little opening, a window, so to speak, before I started working for the mayor's office. I also think we talked a lot, a little bit about you um, doing competitive dancing, but not necessarily liking what people told you to do and how, you know, there was that very, again, as we see through the law firm experience, this non-traditional um, uh, perspective on wanting to do things that were important to you and not necessarily what was expected of you. Yeah, I think that that it's sort of a theme throughout my life of, you know, wanting to do something uh, that's a traditional sort of thing to do, but doing it in a little bit different manner. So with competitive dance, um, you know, you were expected to look a certain way, um, practice certain certain many hours, this, that. And, and I found that dance sort of came easier to me. So I wasn't as regimented as the other girls, let's say. And, you know, I sort of come late to class sometimes, uh, you know, have to leave early for studying or whatnot. And I sort of didn't follow their mold either. So, uh, but I also did very well in competitions and especially my solo practices. So um, I sort of learned there, I guess, from teen years that you can still succeed without following the traditional pattern. So that's sort of been my theme in studies and career. And how do you think it factors into you being successful? Loving, you know, the freedom, being able to do things, okay, traditionally, but in your own way. What? How does that contribute to you being successful as a founder? I think that the taking the risks is a big thing. I find that it's scary. I mean, it's scary for me, but it's it's scary to take a risk and to do something against the grain and swim against stream, let's say. And uh, But it also makes it so much more rewarding. And I think we talked about that. People weren't expecting me to do well, and that sort of pushed me too because I wanted to prove people wrong. So I'm not sure um, how much that factored in, but that's on my mind when I do things, thinking how people are perceiving me and thinking, well, you know, she didn't study as hard as everybody in law school. You know, she's not going to pass the bar exam. I don't think I told you this, but, you know, I was studying for the bar exam. I ended up being in a wedding in Hawaii the week before I was the maid of honor. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was a girlfriend from dance, so it kind of like folds in. But um, she scheduled it the week before the bar exam. She thought she was scheduling it the week after the bar exam. But, you know, it was in Hawaii, destination wedding, and she couldn't change it. So I could have backed out, but I thought, you know what? By the time it rolls around July, so the bar exam's every year in July in Michigan. And um, I thought, but if I don't know anything by the week before, I'm not going to know it. So I'm just going to go and enjoy myself and relax before the bar exam, uh, which is very untraditional. And <laughs> I, everyone in the class, you know, was like, oh, boy, you're going to fail, Kristen Lawson. You're never going to do it. Like, wow, you are crazy. And I heard that a lot because it's very competitive in law school, too. So, um, you know, I just I came in with a with a very nice suntan and took the bar exam and did really well. I got one of the higher scores that you can get. So, um, you know, it's that sort of, I think I get those wins and then it kind of feeds it even more where I wanted more of those little, uh, let's say dopamine rushes when I could do something well. So is the part of the thrill of the win is that you went against the grain? 
I think so. Now that after I spoke to you, um, I was sort of analyzing my path, which I hadn't really put much thought into it, but I do see a distinct pattern of um, the thrill of succeeding when people don't think I'm going to succeed. So there's something to be said about that. But, you know, just being a woman in this field and many fields out there, it's already a natural against the grain just starting out, which I think a lot of women don't really necessarily put as much weight or stock into it as they, maybe they should. The fact that you didn't take the traditional route, stay in a law firm, but instead went out and founded one on your own. Was there ever any moment of loneliness or isolation about that? Or the thrill was just enough to keep you over the top? Yeah, the first time I did it in 2012, I wasn't a great success. I wasn't doing poorly, but I just wasn't prepared. So um, I ended up rejoining a law firm after less than a year. So I guess that would be a time where I took a step back and I thought, okay, you've had all these wins along your path, sort of by the grace of God, it seemed. Um, and, you know, my luck sort of felt like it ran out where I wasn't doing badly, but I just wasn't what I thought it was going to be, where I thought I would just have clients rolling in and just pay all my bills with ease. And I just, I started to get nervous, especially without having the benefits of a law firm with the health insurance and the 401k and all of that. So, um, that moment was a real sobering moment. So when I ended up going out on my own again in 2017, I think, uh, I, I planned it out a little bit better in advance and I knew what I was doing a little bit more. But that 2012 year was very challenging mm-hmm. emotionally. And between 2012 and when you uh, founded your second law firm, you had some important mentors, if I remember correctly. Right. That's correct. I, um, 2012, I did do a lot of research, um, in advance meeting with other women, solo practitioners. And, uh, the recurring theme was, uh, while I'm married, this is sort of my, uh, you know, just fun career. And I, you know, better have a safety net. You know, I got that kind of messaging. So, um, it was really discouraging, but I decided to do it again after talking to many mentors over the next five years, which, you know, they said, basically, find your niche, uh, find what you love. And that I was volunteering already at downtown organizations. But that's how I ended up volunteering for the mayor's campaign, based upon a woman mentor that I have, um, who's very prominent in the Detroit community. And I thought, wow, is she just crazy? Like, what's this going to do for me volunteering for the mayor's campaign? But I ended up meeting all of these people and then finding my niche in government affairs. And so I'm so glad that I trusted her blindly without knowing her ultimate reasoning why that would be so beneficial for my career. So I'm very grateful to her along with others. It also sounds like you have really, um, you have a lot of social capital because you, because let's just say, because you like to do it your own way, there was a lot of opportunity to meet people and get networking in a way that was good for you because you could, do it in your own way, but had support along the way, as opposed to kind of hanging out by yourself and trying to figure it all out on your own. Yeah, I think that women don't realize how many other people are willing to help you if you just ask. I mean, women that are CEOs, and I didn't just interview lawyers, I I met with uh, just women that I admired in the business community in Detroit. And um, it's amazing how they'll take a meeting. And then from that meeting, if you build a relationship with them, um, 
you know, they'll follow you along your career. I still have people checking in to see how I'm doing or sending me, you know, notes of encouragement, which is always, you know, feels good. And it, it makes me know that I, I did the right thing by reaching out to them. I think when you're younger, you're afraid that somebody older and more experienced, you're wasting their time or, or irritating them. Maybe mm-hmm. I felt like, I just thought I would, you know, the worst thing you can do is ask, you know, so, and I can't recall anyone that said no, you know, maybe it was hard to schedule, but they would always eventually meet with me as long as you made it convenient for them and willing to come in their office. And, you know, I'd say, I'll take 15 minutes of your time. No, no more. You know, I'd make it very convenient for them and come to them and kind of not take no for an answer. So I wish more Mm -hmm. people would do that. I try to encourage them to do that. You talk about really liking to uh, solve conflicts. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about why is that um, so exciting for you? I guess that um, being a lawyer, you're you're solving problems, you're counseling people through through tough times or maybe exciting times if they're starting a new business. But um, I like to solve the conflict. I like to be um, sort of the fixer, I guess, in my in my newest iteration of lesson law, where you know. I'll be a part of a strategy team for a big real estate development and they don't know how to do things uh, at the last minute, like get a permit for something or get a license for something or get a uh, energy connect from DTE or something like that, the energy company. And I like to be part of the team where um, I'm sort of the clutch pinch hitter in the scheme of things. And it's very rewarding to see those big development projects come to fruition, knowing that you played a, a role to make it occur and make it occur quicker and with less cost. And do you think that, I don't know what you said, the pinch um, hitter, is that what you said? Yeah. Is uh, that go back all the way to dog walking where people kind of were surprised that you could do something? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that it, it's all connecting to where um, you can see that threat of saving people and uh, helping people and, being a non-traditional lawyer, rather than building up the file and just trying to make money, uh, you know, I really want to help people and help them in ways, even if I don't actually do their legal work, I usually almost always steer them in the right direction with another attorney that can do that particular type of law. So, you know, I have clients that call me over the weekend and they're in a different state and, you know, they have a question about something or something happened. And even though I don't do that type of law, I will get them in the right hands. So mm-hmm. very rewarding mm-hmm. to help people. Um, was it difficult the second time around to run your business on your own? And and if so, have you ever encountered a work situation that maybe you weren't sure you were going to be able to resolve the situation and it kind of made you self-doubt? Um, yeah, I've been in situations where I've taken on clients and then I realized it's going to be more work that I'm willing to do or maybe in an area that I'm not comfortable with. Um, I've had moments where, you know, maybe a, a mentor that I really respect refers me something and I feel like, oh, I owe it to them to try to do this. But then I take a step back and I think, okay, um, is this going to be the best use of my time? Am I going to shine? Is this really going to help that person? So I've had moments where I've had to refer things on to other people um, where my mentor maybe thought I could handle it and I can't. So it, I've gotten better at saying no. Um mm-hmm. I used to say yes to everything and then just struggle and muddle my way through. And I realized that that's not 
going to help anybody. It's best to just be upfront and honest with what you find your strengths so you can maximize your time since being an attorney, time's your only commodity. So you have to be really precious with it in terms of self-care and work. So in other words, if you self-doubt, you don't try to make it so that you have to figure everything else out that you're not sure you know, and you're able to um, refer on to another attorney, and that allows you to keep your best work for you in terms of the areas that you know. Yeah, I think the self-doubt makes me pivot and try to find a better solution for that person and, and for their issue. And um, I wouldn't have not done that, you know, a few years ago, but I've become better at that. So the self-doubt is actually, it's just being honest with myself on what I'm good at and what what is best use. And how come you think you're different now and able to see self-doubt as a moment of pivot and not, oh my gosh, I got to figure it all out and do it myself? I don't know. Maybe it comes with age. Maybe it comes with, um, you know, I've been meditating and doing a lot of self-care and self-reflection and reading a lot of uh, professional books on how to be the CEO of your law firm and things like that. So um, I think it's just education and just always learning and just being true to myself and really reflecting instead of just acting. I think it's a, a stage of maturity where instead of just being reactive, I'm thoughtful, more thoughtful about my choices that I make. And do you feel like you were not reactive and thoughtful all the way back to to the beginning? Or this is something that's kind of matured with age and experience? Yeah, I think I've become better at it. I, I've i always sort of followed my gut, though. So it, it, if it didn't make sense on paper, I would follow my gut. Um, I'm just less um, apt to take on something that I don't feel comfortable with or do something I'm not comfortable with, or let's say spend time with someone I'm not comfortable with or take a client that I'm not comfortable with. I mean, the marijuana industry is just booming everywhere and in Michigan, and there's all kinds of marijuana people that come my way, but it's not something I'm interested in or know anything about. So I turn a lot of very good, profitable clients away in that particular industry. And I'm just like, it's so relieving to just decide that rather than mm-hmm. rather than take that intellectual capital and kind of weigh it and think about how much money I could get paid. And I just, I make it a rule that I just move those along to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So your gut has always been accurate. Yeah, I would say so for the most part. I I would I would agree with that. And any sense on how that came about? I think it's from when we talked about as a child, you know, being that self-starter and and being responsible for myself. So just listening to myself uh, started from an early age. I didn't have anybody in my ear helicopter parenting, which I think was to my benefit, really not telling me, oh, you're going to go to this school or you're going to be the do this mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends that had very supportive families, but it also seemed like a lot of pressure that I didn't have to be, you know, the third generation attorney in the family or take mm-hmm. over the law practice of your grandfather. You know, there's all these other kinds of pressures that I didn't have where I could carve my own path. So I'm mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. grateful for it, actually. Mm hmm. If you had not had the mentors that you had, do you think you would have been able to be an entrepreneur? Not a successful one. I think that mentorship was definitely the key. Um, My first one found me, so um, I'm very grateful to that. Uh, I don't know, he saw something in me that um, 
he thought would make a good associate and uh, taught me a lot of things that I wouldn't have thought about because I was stuck in that narrative of what you're supposed to do with a law degree. So, um, you know, he showed me all the different things that you can do with your career. That's not exactly being a partner in a law firm and how, how you can enjoy what you do, not just do it as uh, to pay your bills and to, you know, make a certain amount of money. Um, so I don't think I could have done it without him changing my mind. But then from that spark, he, I started doing it my own self, seeking people out, doing things like that, volunteering, getting involved with things that I love. Um, and it started as sort of a snowball. So that's another thing I would encourage young people to do is to seek out their group of mentors, you know, four or five and just ask them questions along the way and, uh, pick their brains, people that have been there before you. And, and just like sort of in closing to pick a good mentor for you, what do you need to do to pick a good mentor for you? Well, I, I identify people that I admire. I usually identify um, people that have their own business. Um, so I find somebody that I just admire. I watch them from afar. I do my own research, my background research on them. And usually I'll reach out to them, you know, sometimes on LinkedIn if I don't even have their personal contact information yet, or I'll reach out to a mutual friend if I see we have mutual connects and say, you know, can you introduce me to this person? And we sort of vet each other, you know, by meeting over several breakfasts or, you know, lunches or things like that. And we get to know each other and you kind of pick up on whether or not you gel with somebody pretty quickly. So if they, I don't gel with them, like say they're uh, a little bit more structured than I am, you know, it's, I just, I had a nice lunch and I learned something and I move it along. I identify usually people that are as aggressively entrepreneurial as I am. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time today, Kristen. If people want to learn a little bit more about you, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn with Lesson Law. Uh, I'm also, you know, Kristen.Lesson on LinkedIn. Uh, Instagram is at Lesson Law, L-U-S-N-L-A-W. Um, and then my website is Lesson Law as well. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much again for joining me today. Thank you, Dr. Knudsen. It was a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital DIY startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knudsen. Please drop me a line at mindsetforsuccess at weglobalstudios.com. See you next week.